customers have higher expectations. We have a digital reflex. 50% of the world came online. We've got the next 50% to go. We need visibility so that we focus on what matters most and what is really important. Hey everyone, it's Vikram Harmar, and I'm joined by Sonia Jacob. We are the hosts of Shifting Left, a podcast brought to you by AppDynamics, the number one application performance monitoring solution on the market today. See why thousands of enterprise customers choose AppDynamics for delivering world-class application experiences at www.appdynamics.com. Today, we are going to be talking about Kubernetes, and we are joined by a very special guest, Trayans Parikh, a resident cloud and application modernization expert. We're going to be talking about how Kubernetes has taken the container ecosystem by storm, but it adds more complexities for day-to-day tasks of managing application performance and gaining visibility into your services and infrastructure. We will also learn more about Shrey's perspective on the future of Kubernetes and the cloud. Shrey, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Sweet. So before we dig in, I just wanted to do a quick recap on the rise of Kubernetes. So Kubernetes was initially released in June 2014, but the official launch came just over a year later when Kubernetes 1.0 made its debut at OSCon. According to a survey by the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, 69% of respondents said Kubernetes was their top choice for container orchestration. And Gartner recently proclaimed that Kubernetes is, more or less, the de facto standard for container orchestration. So when it comes to Kubernetes, there's apparently a lot to talk about, right? So some stats I've found. First one, according to 451 Research, the projected market for application container technologies in 2022 is $4.3 billion. That is more than double the $2.126 billion the firm has predicted that will be spent in 2019. It also represents a 30% compound annual growth rate from 2017 to 2022. And to regale you with yet another data point right here, at the same time, according to VMware's State of Kubernetes 2020 report, they mentioned that it's early days for enterprise Kubernetes adoption. More than half of the respondents for that survey are operating fewer than 10 Kubernetes clusters, and 60% are running less than half of their containerized workloads on Kubernetes. So what does that make you think? These two stats make me wonder why IT teams should adopt Kubernetes right now, Trey. What do you think? When teams right now are looking at Kubernetes, um, the reason why Kubernetes is exploding right now as a technology and really taking the world by storm is it really comes down to two main factors, Nick. Number one is speed and number two is agility. Right now, organizations and teams are looking for a lot of operational saving. They're looking for fast and repeatable deployments and they of course want their developers to be as efficient as possible in writing and deploying code. And so with Kubernetes, you really get the best of both worlds when it comes to efficiency. You have developer efficiency and you have operations efficiency. And so two teams that are running on Kubernetes and that are standardized on Kubernetes love the fact that they have many fewer issues to worry about. They have a lot of uh, less headaches to worry about. um, And frankly, they can get better sleep at night. So they don't need to really stress about managing the infrastructure operating systems as they did before. Yeah, so it sounds like engineering teams are being pushed to release new features faster in order to compete with organizations considered as innovators who were born in cloud, right, Trey? 
That's really spot on. And, you know, embracing Kubernetes on your DevOps teams is seen as, you know, experimental idea in many cases, but a good one to proceed with. So you should certainly start embracing Kubernetes. It could be on, you know, one or two projects within your teams or before you do a standardized rollout, or you can, you know, decide to roll it out more broadly within your organization. But uh, with the development teams that are undergoing the containerization of applications, it's important to start embracing these standards more quickly because Kubernetes is widely adopted and widespread right now, but there's certainly going to be follow-ups to that. It's, it's, it's going to be an ongoing advancement when it comes to container orchestration and workload placement. I have a like a follow-up or related question, Trey. So it sounds like there's a lot of broad adoption, but you mentioned something about this still being somewhat experimental. Can you talk a bit more about that? It really depends on the maturity of your company within within the industry that you reside in, Sonia. So it's in some cases, for instance, in you know many technology cloud native companies, for instance, Kubernetes is absolutely core and center to their deployments. And so it is certainly not considered experimental in that case. With companies in industries that are more, say, you know, they're they're deploying applications on a hybrid environment. They're, they're, they have some applications on premises, some on the cloud. They're still making a, a slow but concerted effort towards moving workloads to the cloud. Kubernetes would be considered experimental in that case. So, um, you know, those those industries, for instance, just to to name some examples, including financial and uh, financial services, healthcare, insurance. Uh, those are industries that are that are certainly experimental in their Kubernetes adoption phase. Okay, got it. Thank you. That's interesting, Stray. So, from your perspective, do you think Kubernetes can be an important component as part of digital transformation? Yes, I absolutely think so. I think that Kubernetes can be a critical central element for organizations uh, undergoing their digital transformation. The reasons are widespread. Uh, just to name a few, I mentioned the efficiencies that developers and operators and those teams will have in deploying and troubleshooting their code. I also want to mention um, security and visibility deployments that are that are made, you know, using Kubernetes. Um, now that Kubernetes has been a standard in code deployment for some time, the amount of security and visibility that you have into your workloads is now unparalleled. And um, I will also say that the ability to faster triage issues, to help in capacity planning, and proactively monitoring missing dependencies, these are all ways that Kubernetes really helps your teams you know, move faster on their digital transformation journey. That's awesome to hear. So it sounds like IT companies or IT teams should leverage Kubernetes as part of digital transformation in order to modernize their application ecosystem by changing from a monolith into microservice-based architecture. You're spot on. Yes. So let's switch gears here. Uh, Stray, you have been part of quite a few webinars that talks about application-centric infrastructure resource management and specifically InterSite Workload Optimizer. Can you talk a little bit about how it helps IT teams and how does it help in a DevOps process? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So right now, AppDynamics and Cisco InterSite Workload Optimizer, or IWO, help IT teams break down what are known as operational silos that exist across team owners. So they could be application infrastructure domains on the network side as well. Currently, each of these domains, they might have a set of tools that they're operating in and there might be disparate systems. So they're not really talking to each other. Or there's no really data overlay or 
or what we call a single pane of glass in visibility. AppDynamics and the uh, Intersight Workload Optimizer enable teams to have that visibility insight and actions that they need to improve their business outcome. So it's a really powerful solution that marries application performance monitoring with application resource management. And we've never seen this in the industry, you know, in this way before. And so far, um, we've gotten really, really great feedback from customers that are deploying it in their environments, both on-premises as well as SaaS on their SaaS environments. That's interesting. So it sounds like Ivo can help IT teams really manage their workloads to scale their application more from an infrastructure perspective, right? So to make sure that the application is available to all their customers around the clock across various regions globally. That's true. So think about it. Every industry is sort of scaling for what we like to call their Black Friday moment. So, you know, for, for retail, of course, it's absolutely Black Friday and Cyber Monday. For other industries that have seasonality built into their, their businesses, they could have sort of um, peaks and valleys that they need to be aware of so that they're optimizing all of their backend infrastructure systems to meet those occasions and to ensure that they're delivering the best possible customer experience to their end users by their applications. And so with a tool like IWO in place for Intersight Workload Optimizer, you're really enabling easy access to data visibility across domains. So you're allowing application and infrastructure teams to tap into really contextualized and correlated insights to better collaborate and take the strategic actions that they need to ensure the superior digital experiences for your users. And so they will be delivering on their Black Friday moment, you know, across the across industries, um, whatever industry that they're operating in. Gotcha. This sounds interesting. So now we talked a lot about how Ivo can help IT teams or how Kubernetes can help IT teams. So let's switch gear a little bit and see how Kubernetes, um, especially our Kubernetes cluster agent, can help developers or engineering team instrument their applications in containers. Can you mm -hmm. elaborate a little bit about that? Sure. So the uh, the cluster agent right now, when it's deployed in your environment, we're collecting all sorts of data, you know, data collected by the cluster, namespace, node, events, pods, deployment, you name it. The granularity in the data that we have is phenomenal. And then with our cluster agent operator, you know, whether you're using an app agent, say on Java, on .NET Core, on Node.js, the infrastructure agent will be managed by a cluster agent and InfraBiz. And so we're gathering all of those metrics via the, the um, agent itself and that's being deployed by the AppDynamics controller. Now, this really provides real-time visibility into your Kubernetes clusters. We have metrics that are categorized for really easy triaging. So I mentioned that one of the core use cases of the cluster agent is really faster mean time to, to innocence or mean time to resolution. The ability to serve up all of that data, so app issues, configuration issues, overconsumption, quota violations, just to name some examples. All of this is served up within the AppDynamics controller. And so your teams, say it's the um, infrastructure operations team or the IT operations team or the app owner, they can have a single point of view on all of the issues that are residing and that are potentially uh, resulting in a, in a degradation of the user experience and degradation of business impact. So Shrey, this, this sounds kind of monumental uh, that like this whole experience now is sort of altered for the better, but it kind of makes me curious, what was it like before? 
Yeah, you know, it was um, very, very challenging to say the least, Sonia. So before the advent of Kubernetes and, you know, before a real strong product like the cluster agent from AppDynamics was in the market, many applications were actually broken up into monolithic applications, so to speak. And so there was a need to be able to, you know, when you're deploying code, for instance, it was very slow, very erratic. So there was not a, a deep level of agility um, and functioning. And so, of course, this would then lead to a lot of angst when it came to both the IT teams and the business teams in trying to move the business forward into the modern age. And so there's also a lack of end-to-end -end visibility. So there was many disparate systems your IT teams were using, whether it's your app team, your infrastructure operations team, your IT ops team, et cetera. And so the AppDynamics cluster agent really provides you with that single pane of glass or by which all teams can reside and ingest the data and the analysis that they need to then act, uh, whether it's on the back end or on the front end. And Vic, okay. I, mean, I know that you've had a lot of experience with this um, as well in multiple environments across industries too. So I know that you certainly have experience in dealing with what life was like prior to Kubernetes or the cluster agent. Absolutely, Trey. You rightly mentioned, I would say, you know, a couple of years ago when Kubernetes was uh, sort of getting hot uh, and people were adopting it, a couple of challenging areas was while it does a fantastic job of orchestrating the workload across your cluster, the whole visibility aspect was missing, right? So while IT teams were super pumped about how to deploy their uh, whole workload across the cluster, it became very challenging to monitor the application performance and tie the impact of lack of resources to application performance or vice versa. And that led to many organizations to roll back their Kubernetes initiative a couple of years ago. So as Kubernetes started maturing over a period of time, and as more and more features were rolled out due to the open source community, I think a lot more features are now available. I think the API has far more matured than what it used to be a couple of years ago. Now you can monitor and manage your workload that's running within your Kubernetes cluster much more easily. And with the help of um, AppDynamics solution, you will be able to leverage the APIs, Kubernetes APIs to collect the metrics that you're looking for to map the application performance data to a node or the cluster and vice versa. Gone are the days where you have to look at, you know, millions of lines of logs, you know, to find out what's going on with your application performance and how it maps to your host or your node or your, your cluster. Now it's pretty easy. It's very pinpointed. It's curated view of all the metrics that you're looking for, just specific for your namespace. And it's pretty easy to find out just out of the box. Okay, so I'm thinking about this and I'm listening to what you're both saying, Shrey and Vikram, and I'm thinking, wow, there is a lot of complexity there. How do IT teams actually understand all of this and get a holistic picture of it? So you're, you're right, Sonia, there is a lot of complexity and there, there's a lot of data, a lot of metrics, and a lot of uh, uncertainty on how to really put all of these data and metrics together in a cohesive way and then derive insights from those data points and metrics, right? So the, the way that we're able to do it is the AppDynamics controller view. Controller view enables you to aggregate all of those, you know, whether it could be errors, they could be cluster capacity issues, utilization quotas, et cetera. And um, so now IT teams can now rely on both the, the this overall controller view 
but also map app performance on Kubernetes to business outcomes. And this is really the critical differentiating piece here of the cluster agent, because in mapping to business outcomes, you're able to leverage our business IQ dashboards, which are out of the box, which enable your teams to be able to map this app performance to business outcomes in very little time. So it is very little instrumentation that's needed by your teams. And Vic, I know you have a lot of experience with dashboards as well and being able to map this app performance to business outcomes based on your experiences. Yeah, sure. There are a couple of key buckets of information that needs to be shown in dashboard, and that's what we show it today. First of all, the entire node health, right? That's important. So how is the node? Is it under or over capacity? So those kind of metrics are available along with, you know, if, if any of the um, codas are been hit or if there is any evictions related to pods or namespaces, those can be visible. And also, I think, you know, one of the other important factor is how we collect all these data, right? So these are not customized or these are not manual ins- instrumentation that we have to do. All of this is done automatically just using the Cube APIs. So it's nothing custom. We just leverage the APIs and it gives the information that you're looking for. It's just the curation of the whole metric that you're looking for is all in one single dashboard UI. So it's very easy to identify, troubleshoot, and be more proactive. If there is something going wrong with your resources across your cluster, you can easily manage and identify before an issue spans across, I would say, multiple containers and impact your application in large scale. So while Kubernetes is associated with cloud-native operations, the majority of enterprise deployments today are not in the public cloud. Of the companies surveyed in that VMware report, a large majority, about 64%, have deployed Kubernetes on-premises. Does it mean that IT teams now have to work with on-prem and cloud services? Or does this mean more than one environment to manage and, and secure? That's right. You know, enterprises today, they're looking for ways to take advantage of Kubernetes in order to leverage their existing data centers. So they already have a lot of spend and investment in their existing data centers, Sonia. Mm -hmm. And to be able to transform their business and to be able to modernize their applications for this cloud-native world, they want to improve their infrastructure utilization and save costs. And Kubernetes does help on-premise data centers benefit from cloud-native applications and infrastructure. You can think of it as almost bridging that vast divide between on-premises deployments and cloud-native. Kubernetes is that bridge that helps IT uh, operators and developers now take advantage of all of the different elements of cloud native. So we mentioned a lot of them on this podcast today, including uh, microservices and um, other container orchestration tools and containers. And so irrespective of their hosting or public cloud providers, they can take advantage of pretty much all of this goodness that cloud native presents the web. To give you examples, they can be on OpenStack. They could be utilizing VMware vSphere or even a bare metal environment and still reap the cloud-native benefits that come from integrating with Kubernetes. That is very exciting, straight. Thank you so much for summarizing some of the new features that are coming out with our Kubernetes cluster agent. I know our audience uh, are very excited to learn more about that. You can always check out www.appdynamics.com forward slash shifting left to learn more about what's coming out with AppDynamics and partner integrations. And uh, with that being said, I would like to thank Trey for your time and uh, looking forward to having more conversations about Kubernetes and cloud in the future. 
Thank you for having me, Sonia and Beck. Thanks, Ray.